What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead this hour. The consensus is no Fed tapered this year, but one top strategist says, oh, yes, they will. We'll tell you why the man who called the V-shaped recovery thinks the Fed will taper by year end and what that means for markets. Plus, it is draft day. We're just an hour away from the CNBC stock draft, a preview and some predictions on the best names to own from now until the Super Bowl and the margin miracle, the TikTok boost and Amazon on deck. It's all ahead, but we start with today's record highs. Dom Chu is here with those numbers. Good morning, Charlie. Uh, Oh, I know what you mean. That's a little inside joke about Kelly's look today and what she (laughs) might represent in terms of movie and cinema theater. Anyway, let's talk about the Dow Industrials because we have now more than halved our gains so far today. It's up about 85 points. We were up about 200 plus at one point during the highs of the session. S&P 500 up at 41.91, up about one quarter of one percent in the Nasdaq, losing some steam there. As the folks on the halftime report just pointed out, Apple, somewhat of a contributor there, it's losing steam as well. That might be a be behind some of that move and weakness in the Nasdaq. A place to watch, though, a Dow component here, Caterpillar shares. They were higher, much more so in the pre-market, and gained about 1% plus in the early part of trading. But you can see they're now down about 3% so far today. We're not far away from the record highs that we had over the course of the last couple of weeks here. However, Caterpillar, after blowing out earnings results, says that they may not be able to meet all of the end-user demand because they can't make enough equipment because why? Yes, the global computer chip shortage factoring in there. So Caterpillar shares moving off those record high levels that we saw over the last week. And then check out what's happening with Amazon and Twitter. Both of these companies, notable reporters after the closing bell today with regard to their earnings numbers. Amazon is roughly plus 7% year to date on that basis here, underperforming the market. Twitter, meanwhile, is up about 19% on a year-to-date basis. It's down about 1% entering those numbers. Two key earnings reports that could tell us a little bit more about that big tech communication services, web services type story. Kelly, keep an eye on Amazon and Twitter. I think they're part of the stock draft, are they not? I think they are, too. We have a whole lot more on that coming up, Don. Thanks. You got it. Fed Chair Powell continues to signal that rates will be low for a very long time. At his news conference yesterday, he said it's too early to consider rolling back policies supporting the economy. It is not time yet. Uh, We've said that we would let the public know when it is time to have that conversation. And we'd said we'd do that well in advance of any actual decision to taper our asset purchases, and we will do so. In the meantime, we'll be monitoring progress toward our goals. Powell may be saying not yet, but my next guest believes tapering will begin this year. Joining me now is Michael Darda. He's the chief economist and macro strategist at MKM Partners. Mike, it's great to see you again. And this is a tough call uh, because you don't want to fight the Fed. So what makes you so confident that they're going to be forced to start tapering pretty, pretty soon here? Thanks for having me on again, Kelly. I think it's just going to be just how powerful this labor market rebound is. Uh, as we move into the spring and summer months and into the fall, um, we already saw a very strong job support for February. I think we're going to get another one as we move into next week. Uh, and in terms of 
you know, moving into the summer, I think we're going to be putting up well over a million jobs each month. And what Powell said yesterday was it's not going to be one report, but a string of reports that's robust enough to start to trigger that conversation. So we are not there yet, but I do think in the next you know, three, four months, we're probably going to be pretty close. It still seems like they're reluctant. And like they remember the whole last cycle where they would start to talk about raising rates and then markets. Would, it, it was like they kept sort of undermining their own goals. Um, everybody says this time will be different, that, you know, on the fiscal side, it's going to be different, that on the Fed side, it's going to be different. They're not going to repeat the same mistakes of the past. So you're looking at this very, very differently. Why do you what are what's going to happen in markets that you think they're going to have to respond? Are we talking about bond yields moving higher or stock prices too high or or no? I mean, what would what would the financial conditions look like that would force their hand? I think it's mostly just the shape of the recovery. This recovery looks very different than the recovery from the 0709 recession. And it was a different kind of a collapse too, a much sharper but much shorter. So this has been a very powerful V rebound. If we look at the GDP report this morning for Q1, nominal GDP has been running at about an 18% annual rate over the course of the last three quarters. Now that obviously follows a huge collapse. So the level of activity is still below the the pre-COVID trend growth path, but we are rapidly catching up in a way that was not seen after the 07-09 crash. And so I think that's really what's going to end up dictating, you know, the Fed having to move sooner than where some of the consensus forecasts are. So one more question, and I thought it might almost be fun to set up some kind of debate between yourself and a guy like Dave Zervos, who I think in many ways you guys have similar views about the stock market, but he differs on where he thinks inflation is going. And he doesn't really see it being kind of a, a consistent problem. And even the Fed keeps using this word transitory. So it's almost as if you're describing that an economic boom is what they're responding to more than an inflation problem. Is that right? Well, I think the boom is coming first. The boom is, is here. You know, we can see it in all the data. We can see it in the forward-looking indicators. Jobless claims are dropping like a stone now and confidence is surging. So that's all great news. But I think what happens next year when the economy is back on that pre-COVID trend growth path and the labor market is essentially fully healed, at that point, you really don't want boom conditions for aggregate demand uh, unless the supply is there to meet that demand. And that's where we could get into more of a complicated scenario with with inflation. And keep in mind, you have the S&P 500 enjoying a 23 forward multiple now. So in an environment where inflation is likely to move higher and market interest rates are likely to move up and potentially we could get a material rise in tax rates on capital, those would all go down in my book as headwinds to to valuation. So some things to think about as we move forward. Yeah. So my final question to you is, what is your message to investors if this all bears out? And again, you are one of the very, very few people who was talking about the kind of recovery that we've had at, at this time last year. So if if they listen to this advice today, what does it mean for their exposure to the stock market and especially to tech stocks? Yeah, I think we have to be a bit careful in here, specifically regarding some of the highest multiple stocks in the highest multiple sectors. Um, so that includes parts of technology, but also other, you know, other stocks and sectors that would mostly be in the NASDAQ 100. In particular, there are 11 stocks in the NASDAQ 100 that have a negative equity risk premium, meaning the earnings yield is below the current 10-year Treasury yield. Uh, That index of stocks is 
15% below the highs of the year and could, in, in my opinion, be in for a severe, um, you know, re-rating lower in an environment where, where multiples are compressing. So I think there are some risks out there for the, the high growth areas enjoying really, really high valuations. Interesting. So you would say that this correction is not yet uh, fully played out for those names in particular. Michael Darda, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Michael Darda with MKM Partners. Let's turn now to the chip shortage. As it gets more dire, Ford just warned investors it will lose half of its production this quarter as a result. Half. Even Apple is taking a multi-billion dollar loss as a result. Some say the government should step in to help the U.S. regain its former dominance of the chip industry. My next guest says not so fast. So how does the chip shortage get fixed then? T.J. Rogers joins me now. He's the founder and former CEO of Cypress Semi Corporation and the former chair of the Semiconductor Industry Association. You have a great piece in the Wall Street Journal about this. Welcome. Thank you. Go ahead. You, you, you know, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, but I think your analogies to the past are interesting. We're not necessarily talking about the government building its own semiconductor you know, factory like it tried to do uh, without much success in, in former years. But what about its support of uh, companies like Intel? Do you find that problematic or, or how should this chip shortage get resolved? And do, do those two issues really have anything to do with one another? Intel struggles and what's happened because of the pandemic. No, Intel is struggling because Intel was not well managed for a long time, uh, contrary to their entire history. they got a new president right now. I know two or three people that have worked with him and, and say he's a very, very strong manager. And I expect Intel to turn around, to, to, you know, put it on the board of Intel that they allowed the company to get behind TSMC. You mentioned Semitech, <clears throat> the 1980s consortium where the government dumped 500 million bucks into the semiconductor industry. Nothing happened with that. It was all wasted money. And the point of remembering that is that the last time there was this problem, you know, the government had to help some way and the Democrats had to blame the Republicans and vice versa and standard political stuff. And of course, what they did was build a fab that nobody needed that was obsolete before it got online. They converted it to optoelectronics and then they shut it down. So, so the government can't help is the point. And they'll come up, they're basically going to give a bunch of money to chip companies. I don't understand why that has to be true. I've testified in front of Congress five times, once in the Senate, four in the Congress, <clears throat> that, that we have some of the smartest, richest companies in the world. I can't understand why taxpayers' money hard-earned money is going to be shuttled into these chip companies sure. to make ends meet because they can't make enough product. It's boom times, not bad times. Which is a fair point, but as you've also pointed out, America's role in the chip industry has shriveled to a shadow of what it once was. Why not give companies like Intel $50 billion to expand their production and try to move more of the supply chain onto our shores? Is that just unrealistic? Do you think that money is going to be wasted? It, it's uh, completely unrealistic. Why don't we move the vacuum cleaner industry back on shore? You know, I could name a day when America invented and owned the entire vacuum cleaner industry. Most chips, 90% of chips are commodities. They can be made in a dozen countries in the world. And it doesn't matter that we're not making them. This old idea, you know, I joined the chip industry 60 years ago when chips were hard to make. You had to have a PhD to even understand how they worked. That's not true anymore. A lot of people can make chips. There are only a certain number of chips, high-end processors, high-end memories, uh, high-end analog chips that really matter. And we make all that we need to make with world-leading companies. Uh, and, and, and by the way, to answer your question directly, 
Why doesn't Intel take 50 of their own million dollars out of the bank if they want to build a plant in America? Why would the government need to give them money to build a plant? They're, they're, they got money all over the place. So then I guess my question would be, when people look and say, you know, I can't get my hands on one of these vehicles. This happened with one of my neighbors. You know, she wanted the new minivan that she couldn't get for four months. And there, people are hunting all over the country trying to find, you know, cars. And they say, OK, so do we just wait this out? It's just a, an oddity of the pandemic. And we're going to come out of this maybe stronger as an industry. Is that sort of what you would say? I mean, are we in a good position here, this country, as it relates to this vital piece of the supply chain? We have some companies, and even a company I'm associated with, <clears throat> that are limited in supply because they of semiconductor chips. Uh, the, you, if you want to ask why is the automotive industry limited in its supply of semiconductor chips, tell the automotive companies, CEO by CEO, to look in the mirror, with one exception, Toyota. And right now, it, it, takes, it takes about 120 days, a long time, to make a new chip. And it takes another couple of weeks going around the world to put it in the package and test it. Okay, so if you order a chip, you're not going to get it for six months. That's, that's point one. Point two is uh, if, you, if you aren't qualified and you have to order chips, get them and qualify them, the automotive industry takes 12 to 18 months to qualify a chip. Hmm. Okay, well, if you knew you weren't going get, to get oxygen for the next 12, 24 hours, you'd go and buy yourself a bottle of oxygen and you'd have it so you, you could use it when you needed it. And what the chip company, uh, chip, uh, excuse me, the automotive companies have done is they pushed inventory back onto the chip companies. They have, they use the Toyota production system and they have a thing called a Kanban. So it's a little space the size of a small room in a house with a yellow line around it in the manufacturing floor. And if you are lucky enough in their view to get to sell them a chip, then, then the Kanban needs to be kept full by you all the time. Exactly the same way a grocer, it, it actually yeah. was copied from America, exactly the same way a grocer says to the bread guy, I want bread on my shelves all the time. It's your job to deliver it. Hmm. But when the, the chip, when the car company says, oh, my God, pandemic, we're shutting down, the chip industry follows that because also it's true. You don't get to put that inventory on on the car companies. If they shut down and that model that you were talking about becomes obsolete, the yeah. chip company eat a bunch of industry. Uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, inventory. So everybody slowed down and it takes 120 days or more to rev the wheel back up. Have a little inventory in, in, in stores, which Toyota did. They had five weeks of inventory and you'll make it through. It's that simple. Run your company better. Don't ask the government for help. I was going to say, if you could boil it down and you just said the message at the end there. <laughs> We'll see maybe if the automakers uh, want to elaborate on how they got themselves in this position. But I, I take your point uh, that perhaps it's not uh, a problem that needs to be solved the way that we're hearing at the moment. TJ, it's great to have you. Thank you very, very much. And education every time. We appreciate it. Thank you. TJ Rogers. Coming up, Bloom and Brands is higher today, much higher after a strong quarter. The stock is also up about 400 percent from the March lows. The CEO will be live next. He'll talk about reopenings, those price pressures and the battle for workers in his industry. Plus, Goldman says the TikTok generation is set to boost music stocks, including this one. The name and how much upside the bank sees from here is ahead. And at the top of next hour, it's the CNBC stock draft. From investors to sports icons to models and TikTok stars, it's going to be a fast-paced hour you don't want to miss as they battle it out for the stocks they think will dominate this year. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere.
This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. Look at shares of Outback Steakhouse parent Blumen Brands today up more than 8% after a big first quarter beat. The company reporting U.S. comp sales across all of its chains more than doubled in the first four weeks of their second quarter. Blumen's CEO says it's positioned to keep growing, and that's not just for sales. It's also to take market share as this recovery continues. He joins me now for more on what's going on across the industry. Let's welcome in David Dino. He is the CEO of Blumen Brands. David, it's great to have you here. I would like to start uh, with just the rebound that we've seen, of course, you're going to be up compared with last year. But we spoke at the top of this program about possibly economic boom conditions unfolding across the country. How strong Mm -hmm. would you describe things in your restaurants right now? Well, things are going really well in our restaurants. In fact, we're not only up versus 2020, but we're up 12.6% versus 2019. What? Which was well ahead of the pandemic. Yes. And so Customers are coming back and enjoying our food in the restaurants. And importantly, we're keeping our off-premises delivering carryout business as dining rooms reopen. So do you think those are ultimately going to grow uh, revenue in a way that, you know, maybe bring in some of those pickup customers who simply wouldn't have existed in the past? Yes, I think uh, we're going to have, well, our goal is to sustain that carryout and delivery business that we had during the pandemic. Because people are now understanding that they can get great casual dining food at home. And then as restaurants reopen, if we can provide great service and continue to provide great service, we're going to get the magic of the and and get sales growth in off-premises and in dining. So explain this to me. You are busier than ever with more uh, eating options than ever. You're up 12 percent from 2019, which is insane to me. How are you staffing your restaurants at a time when we're hearing anecdotally about quite the shortage of workers? Are you experiencing this directly? Well, we uh, made a decision last year not to furlough or let go, not one person in our restaurants, not one. So when we turned the dining rooms back on and people came back in, we already had staff. So we had a very high base and our retention levels are very high. Our turnover is very, very low compared to the rest of the industry. And of course, with 12% same store sales growth, we've got to staff the restaurants and add, add more people. But we're able to do that through what we have to offer to employees. So is it all come down to the wage that you're paying? Do you have to pay retention bonuses? That's one thing that we've heard in in the industry is in order to keep people on past 90 days because the competition for labor is so intense right now. No, we haven't had to pay retention bonuses. People want to see two things. One, they want to ask what they're going to be paid, see what they're going to be paid. And they want a great environment. They want to work in a great environment. And we think we offer both. And so we've been able to recruit the people that we need. Okay, quick final question, because here's another one that makes me go, huh? You say you expect commodity inflation to be flat for 2021 and raising prices is the last thing you want to do. Now, that makes you unique among our our universe of companies, especially as we go through earnings season. We hear about a ton of price pressures. We hear about a ton of price increases on the consumer and consumers sound happy to pay them, frankly. So how can it be that you don't see any uh, commodity inflation? Well, we've got a really great supply chain team that pretty much locked in our commodity costs last fall. 
And so we're, we're set. We were set last fall for all of 2021. And the last thing we want to do right now is raise prices because we want to keep our value equation for our great food available to the customer. Is that going to create a hangover in 2022 then if you all of a sudden, you know, you locked in for a year, but then it's still, you know, we're up triple or something? No, I don't, I don't think so. We've been able to navigate this in the past quite well, and it's early days to talk about 2022. But I think we're in, I think we're in very good shape on the commodity side. Well, I've been trying to poke holes in the story, David, but uh, so far unsuccessful. Uh, it, do, it does sound like it's been quite a positive time for you that's reflected in the quarter and in the stock price reaction. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you. We've got a fantastic team that's making these uh, results come alive. So thanks for having me today. David Dino is the CEO of Bloomin' Brands. Coming up, the pandemic isn't just sending people out to the suburbs. Restaurants are headed there, too. Speaking of restaurants, we'll tell you more about that trend. And forget airline miles or gift cards. SoFi wants to give you Ethereum and maybe even Dogecoin. We'll tell you about that. And as we lead up to the launch of our special event, Aspiring America, we've been highlighting some extraordinary people making a positive impact in their communities. Today, we're taking a sneak peek of this weekend special. MSNBC and today's Craig Melvin sat down with honoree Bubba Wallace and talked about his being the face of NASCAR. One of the things I've always enjoyed about you is that you seem to really enjoy what you're doing right now. You seem to be really enjoying being one of the faces of NASCAR. Is that an accurate assessment? I mean, you got to enjoy where you're at. If you don't, then find something else to do, right? Am I set out to be the face of NASCAR? No. I'm set out just to be another driver just trying to make find his way and make his way into the sport. But with everything that's happened over the last year, two years, it's it's been a lot. You'll hear more from Bubba Wallace and many other incredible people on Inspiring America, the 2021 Inspiration List, airing Saturday, May 1st on NBC at 8 p.m. and right here on CNBC on Sunday, May 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. The Exchange is back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get you a check on these markets right now. Dow's up 117 points, or about 100 points off the session high. The Nasdaq is negative by about two-tenths of a percent, so we'll keep our eye on that one in light of the Fed's meeting yesterday. Here are some of the movers this hour. Delivery and rideshare stocks are lower after Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, in an interview with Reuters, said that most gig workers maybe should be classified as employees. Some discussion about the nuance there. Lyft is down 11 percent, Uber down 5.5 percent, DoorDash is down nearly 9 percent. On the flip side, home builders are having a good day with Century Communities and Meritage Homes leading the way after earnings. Both stocks on pace for their best day of the year. Century is up nearly 12 percent. And check out eBay. 
It's on pace for its worst day since January of 2016. This comes after earnings. It beat on the top and bottom line, but a disappointing outlook for the current quarter. Well, that explains why we're down nearly 11 percent for that name today. Let's get over to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel. Hi, Kelly. Here's what's happening at this hour. An hours-long standoff at a home in North Carolina ended last night with the deaths of five people, two police officers and three family members. Officers came under fire during a welfare check on that family. Local media report that the suspect is among the deceased. Cleanup is underway in parts of northern Texas after a hailstorm pummeled the area last night. Some of the worst damage occurred after baseball-sized hail and strong winds destroyed homes and businesses. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny being seen publicly for the first time since ending his three-week hunger strike and also receiving the medical care that he requested. The activist appeared in court via video link to appeal a defamation conviction, which was upheld by a Moscow judge. And it's President Joe Biden's 100th day in office. He's on his way to Georgia to promote his economic agenda and also meet with former President Jimmy Carter. Now you can tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern for full coverage of President Biden's trip. You're now up to date. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Coming up, sales are nice, but margins are better. The sweet sound of TikTok, and here comes the last of the fangs. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a couple stories today that should be on your radar. It is time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down today's headlines are Josh Lipton, Dear Jabosa, and Casey Newton. He's editor of Platformer and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to everybody. Got to start with Apple. The earnings smashed Wall Street estimates and then some. They had better than expected earnings per share. Revenue soared nearly 54% year on year. And for the second quarter in a row, they had double-digit growth in all product categories. What's more, Apple enjoyed a more profitable than expected quarter. It's gross margin. And Josh, this one has jumped. I mean, you can look at the estimate up nearly three points, which is huge for a company of its size. Forty two and a half percent. How'd they do it? Yeah, so gross margins, 42.5 percent. When they gave you some color about the guy, they said, again, 42.5 percent. Remember, that's a tick up, Kelly. Usually it's more like around 38 to 40 percent. So as you said, smash expectations. Those numbers were off the charts. I do think investors are trying to wade through some different cross currents today. One is we know Apple, like a lot of companies, is trying to navigate this historic chip shortage. And they did say that's going to impact Mac and iPad in the current quarter. And I think some investors are also saying, listen, these numbers are so good how can you sustain that momentum? I did ask Tim Cook about that, and we talked about Mac and iPad, and those numbers were just bananas. And I asked him, how do you know whether you're just kind of pulling forward demand or whether something has significantly changed in terms of how people think about work? Now, Cook said, obviously, he doesn't know for sure, but his bet is something has changed, that remote, remote work is going to be important even post-pandemic. If Cook is right, that would be a continued tailwind for Mac and iPad when those supplies do improve, Kelly. Casey, is it the mix of businesses? You know, is it the service uh, services growing? We know that's a higher margin business. Is it the higher price of the iPhones? I mean, what do you chalk it up to? Well, I think this quarter was an iPhone story for Apple. There was a lot of pent-up demand. iPhones were released later in the year than they normally are. And so I think it just took folks a while to catch up. This was a year where we saw a new design for the phone. So it was just kind of a big iPhone story all around. But also don't count out that M1 chip. People hmm. love these laptops, and they're also cheaper for <laughs> Apple to make than they were to buy from Intel. Yeah, I was I, I was looking at them, Deirdre, because they run cooler, quieter. I mean, that more battery efficient. 
I, I love how Casey calls this an iPhone quarter. It was, but it was also a Mac and an iPad quarter. I mean, just firing on all cylinders. What do you even call this? An everything super cycle? One of our <laughs> Tech Check viewers responded to us on Twitter and said that now Apple is on the expectations treadmill. And this is what Josh referred to. When you have just mind-blowing results that are so good on every level, how do you ever live up to that? What's the story going forward? And that's probably the next leg of this. But for now, you know, Apple investors can enjoy this pretty spectacular quarter. I think one analyst said it was a drop-the-mic quarter. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, but the shares, like you said, down today fractionally, but also I think pretty flat on the year now. Um, so whether that's owing to, you know, unique dynamics here or some of the stuff we we're talking about top of the hour, uh, what's going on with rates and the Fed. I mean, that's what we're going to watch for all of these tech names uh, as the next quarter moves in. Let's turn to another trillion dollar name. It's Amazon, and they've got earnings after the bell today. It's the first quarter with CEO Andrew Jassy at the helm instead of Bezos. After a slow start to the year, the stock has been rallying over the past month. It's up over 12 percent. The shares today about half a percent higher, though Amazon's first quarter is usually slower than others. The bar Deirdre is are they seriously looking about a hundred look at that a hundred and four billion dollars <laughs> in revenue for just the first quarter yeah you know Apple had one Amazon had one last quarter so this would be the second hundred billion dollar revenue quarter which is pretty astounding I mean we just got eBay results which was interesting right it builds into that it talks to that e-commerce story and that issue of are these gains sort of pulled forward for Amazon? Of course, there's just so many businesses. It's not just an e-commerce story. It's a cloud. It's a grocery. It's a devices. It's an advertising story increasingly. Um, so there are so many businesses to draw upon. Analysts, the street, are expecting another huge quarter from this company. Of course, the guidance for the second quarter um, is going to be really key. And Kelly, we had that announcement yesterday about boosting pay for some of its employees True. after all the labor tensions that we've been talking about over the last few months. I think that'll be front and center as well. Yeah, Casey, I mean, we talk about it, but aren't they now like the biggest employer in the country? I mean, maybe on par with Walmart, maybe even more so. So it's absolutely something to think about. But the stock is not priced like that's the story. I mean, it's it's priced for perfection, right? It's priced because this is a hundred billion dollar a quarter juggernaut that seemingly can't be stopped. That's right. I mean, if you think about Amazon's job as just sort of taking a portion of all economic activity on the Internet, we're living at a time when the Internet is exploding, right? Most of us are still not back in offices. Uh, we're relying heavily on e-commerce. There are so many Internet-based businesses that are getting started every single day. So for all of those reasons, uh, Amazon just has the wind at its back. Quick last word, Josh. Yeah, I checked in with Yusef Scully, actually, at Truist, uh, Kelly, has a buy on this name. To, in his mind, this is going to be a strong print. To one, as Casey just said, Yusef is pointing out we're still online. We're still doing our shopping. $0.42 cents out of every dollar spent on e-commerce is going to Amazon. That is wow. a remarkable figure. Also, Yusef says that that advertising business that Deirdre is talking about, his checks markers indicate they continue to spend more money there. So it's not just Google and Facebook anymore. And, of course, AWS, a leader, a juggernaut. We saw that strong cloud print from Amazon as well. That's a great point about the advertising spend. Uh, in some ways, Amazon is the best opportunity to thwart the existing duopoly, which is like, great, it just goes to the other guy. Uh, but let's pivot and talk about the upstart on the scene. It's TikTok. We know the music industry took a massive hit last year because of canceled shows and tours, but Goldman is saying that record labels and music publishers are headed for a strong rebound thanks to, yes, TikTok. 
They have buy ratings on Sony and Vivendi, which is the owner of Universal Music Group. Goldman saying TikTok and other platforms provide a growing opportunity for the music industry to monetize new areas. They estimate global music revenues will rise 21% this year, Casey, 26% next year. And I don't quite understand how the monetization of music on TikTok works. I don't know if, if everybody knows the answer to this, but it is a crucial part of what makes that site so fun and attractive. That's right. It's become an incredible hit maker. There was a great story in Bloomberg last week about how Megan Thee Stallion's uh, people worked with TikTok to identify the sort of most likely hit on her album. <laughs> they identified it as Savage and it became a worldwide number one. We've seen this time and again. TikTok is where culture starts for a younger generation. There's a lot of upside there for the record labels. And it, you know, I, I've learned, Deirdre, that if you want your video to do well on TikTok, then you have to kind of hop on one of these trending music uh, you know, one of these trending songs and kind of take it from there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love seeing some of the songs that are trending, like Boney M recently. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I did listen to TikTok hits on Spotify last summer. was not a bad playlist. Um, but what was interesting about this note, Kelly, is that it's not just TikTok. It's connected fitness as well. Think about Peloton's hmm. collaboration with artists like Beyonce. There's just so much more opportunity now how they re how they monetize that revenue is really interesting question, but um, there's just a lot more places for artists to get exposure as we all sort of have moved online over the last year, and these platforms have emerged as huge players. Deirdre, I was Googling Boney M, if I heard you correctly, but they say they were active between 1975 and 1986. <laughs> yeah, okay, I know it's a, it's a little bit older. Um, it was introduced to me by my husband. He was a big fan of ABBA and Boney M. I wonder if he's going to kill me now. <laughs> Probably. Josh? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. I, you know, talking to my wife, we're not on TikTok. We realize we don't even know anybody on TikTok. That's how hip the Liptons are. I do think it's interesting. The short form video, I totally get the excitement, the popularity, the possible revenue streams. I do wonder how much, you know, post pandemic, we look back at some of these platforms, some of these mediums, and we realize how much was built in because we were stuck at home. I think Kelly of Clubhouse, you know, I know it's not apples to apples, obviously. I like Clubhouse. I'm on there. It's terrific conversation. What, what do you do? You are you, you're how on much there, Josh? You're kidding us. me. You're not on TikTok. The real world but you're on Clubhouse. How much is popular? How much is a fad? Based at least on some of these, you know, recent download trends we've been seeing. What do you do on Clubhouse? <laughs> I, I like it's the new meme is that no one's on Clubhouse anymore. What are you doing on Clubhouse? <laughs> I listen. I, I you haven't been there's, invited. There's a Kelly, lot you got to wade through. They, yeah. party hour. No, no, I'm yeah, left I, out. I have, I have enough <laughs> invitations, Kelly. There's one waiting for you. You got to wade through a lot on Clubhouse, but there's some pretty good conversations too as well. Uh, I mean, I've logged in, Casey, and that that's about it. Uh, a quick final word on on this. I mean, it is. I guess maybe a reminder that if we kind of let innovation run, all of these industries that we might think are kind of left for dead. I mean. I'm looking at this NFT thing, and it's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think I just saw a young lady who's, who earned half a million dollars is paying off her college loans because she, like, had a viral video 15 years ago or something. I mean, this, to me, is, like, crazy exciting stuff. 
It is. You know, I've been covering tech for about 10 years now, and this feels like the the only thing I could compare it to is when I first landed in San Francisco in 2010. We are seeing all sorts of new ways, particularly for individual creators to monetize. That's a story that ranges from TikTok to Clubhouse to selling NFTs. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity, and, you know, it's, it's exciting to, to watch and be a part of. All right. Let's mention the other kind of vanguardy thing happening before we go. We already spoke about the Gemini and MasterCard crypto reward card this week. But we have another one today from SoFi. They're introducing the option for a SoFi credit card holder to redeem reward points directly into crypto uh, via their existing SoFi Invest product. So there's kind of the, the link if you're looking for one. Coinbase, meanwhile, just announced it's offering U.S. customers a way to buy crypto using their debit cards and bank accounts linked to PayPal. By the way, up to 25 grand worth a day. All of this uh, as the evolution of crypto continues. You know, I, I said when we were talking about this the other day, Deirdre, that it makes sense to get exposure, you know, for your cash to have a crypto exposure now with the upside that we've been seeing. But if there's ever downside, it's not going to look so attractive. And all these people came at me with this talk about stable coins and why I was wrong on that. I mean, again, I don't understand why you wouldn't just want to take the cash, buy crypto. Why do you have to do it this way? Well, because I think the whole idea is people are experimenting with it now. So having exposure through credit card rewards is a pretty low risk way to do so. You're not putting, you know, a ton of money into cryptocurrencies, but it's a way to become familiar with it, which I think there's a lot of appetite out there for. I remember when everyone wanted a Chase Sapphire card and then it was the Apple card and now it's a card linked to cryptocurrencies. And it just tells you sort of what consumers are looking for. And I think it's a really interesting proposition and an easy way to at least get to know this world. Casey, I think SoFi is just trying to be cool. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a a pretty fair characterization. I mean, look, uh, the the blockchain is having a big year. It's going mainstream. Right now, it's still kind of focused on the the nerd energy inside Reddit. But this is how products like that go mainstream, right? They get added to the absolute most boring products on the market. And now here's SoFi. The nerd energy inside Reddit. You guys have a way with words. Josh Lipton, Deirdre Bosa, and Casey Newton, thank you all for this rollicking edition of Rapid Fire today. Still ahead, supermodels, NBA stars, and TikTok influencers, they're all coming up in this year's stock draft. Up next, Fast Money trader Guy Adami joins me with his strategy and his picks for the best performer. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. We're just moments away from the 2021 CNBC stock draft. We do it every year geared to the NFL draft. But in our case, 10 all-star teams go head-to-head to see who can be the next best stock picker until the Super Bowl. We give everybody 60 stocks, commodities, even an ETF to choose from. Here's the full list. So you can pick from everything from blue-chip stocks like Coca-Cola and General Electric, recent IPOs like Roblox and Airbnb. You, of course, can do Bitcoin, gold, and yes, even GameStop. Here to break down the list of candidates and preview the draft is none other than fast money trader Guy Adami. Guy, it's great to see you again. Welcome. Kel, what is up? Good to see you. I heard you <laughs> like my drapes. I'll tell my wife. I mean, I, they are lovely. I mean, I've been getting like nine out of 10 on Room Raider. So if I put a plant or a pineapple, I'll get yes, a 10. Exactly. You just need the plant. Um, so let's talk, you know, between now and don't use too many football analogies. I've had a busy year. I don't know who's up big in tonight's draft. OK, but who should be up big in our stock draft next hour? If you had the number one pick, who would you think? Well, my man Tim Seymour has it. We have not talked because that's not cool, but I sort of want to get in his head. And you're obviously looking for stocks that you think are going to perform 
over the next year. Not stocks that have performed are going to perform. And I look over this list and I say, you know what? Palantir had a huge move to the upsides, retraced the whole thing. That's a company I think that's poised to have a great 2021. And the other name that I look at, if you really want to get into the weeds, I mean, look at the move in Tilray over the last couple months. Huge move to the upside, back and filled the entire thing. I don't want to get inside Tim Seymour's head. He's picked General Electric before. (laughs) I could see Tim go in Tilray 1 and then the second pick in the first round for him. I could see him doing a letter F Ford. And again, I don't know anything, but I'm just throwing it out there. And if you want a little more, I've said this before. How many contestants do you have? 10, 9, 8, whatever it is. I'm happy with any of them winning except O'Leary. That would be a devastating, (laughs) that would be a disaster. But I'll get in Kevin O'Leary's head. If Bitcoin falls to him at four, he's going to gobble it up and watch him in the second round scoop up ARK, A-R-K-K. I'm just throwing it out okay, there. So you sort think, of hypothesizing let me, here. Let me ask the question differently because you're kind of, this is an interesting read into the investor psyche right now. So you think that cannabis potentially are hot prospects in the draft. You think Bitcoin's a hot prospect. And then you kind of made your case for Palantir. I'm not sure you'd maybe describe that the same way. So what do you think are the are the ones that people really should grab for? Like if you're if they're still on the table, who 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 should not be left standing? I think Roblox, you mentioned it in the tease. I mean, if you think about they have a a partnership with Hasbro, I think they report on May 10th. So you got the run up into the May 10th earnings. A lot of people love this name. They'll knock it on valuation. My sense is Jim Cramer, when we partner up, that's the name that he's going to look at. And I think Viacom. As crazy as this might sound, but you've seen what's happened over the last six months in this new world of Wall Street Bet and Reddit. I mean, Viacom had that huge move to 100, completely retraced the whole thing. You're able to buy Viacom here looking for a potential similar move in 2021. I think that's a name that might come off early as well. And don't they own SpongeBob? That feels like it could be, you know, if they were going to. Oh, I know. Come on, stop. I, I, no, I mean, I'm, seriously. I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying for real. I mean, you've got a, a group of people who are saying, don't mess with some of our best loved, you know, things in this world. I think SpongeBob is one of them. So we'll see you half past next hour, guy. You're kind of our in-house woge here, but don't tweet us. You've got to wait for us to announce it. I don't want you going out to Tim first and like, you know, I hear Seymour's picking. No, no, that's not how I roll. No, yeah. I don't do that. I, I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that at Fast Money. We will see you in about 40 minutes time. And I cannot wait. Guy, thank you very, very much. Guy Adami with his analysis of the draft. Up next, it's not just city dwellers moving to the suburbs. The Mediterranean restaurant chain Kava is also making the migration. We're going to hear from the CEO directly about the strategy and what's next for the company right after this quick break. Welcome back. The fast casual restaurant chain Kava raised nearly $200 million this week to bring their valuation to a reported $1.3 billion. Love the spicy lamb meatballs. Uh, Kate Rogers spoke exclusively with the CEO about their expansion plans and has more on that for us now. Hi, Kate. Hey, Kelly, that's my favorite item there, too. So Kava is planning to use that fresh funding to continue its expansion into the suburbs and Sunbelt communities. More than 80 percent of its locations right now are in the suburbs, which helped to boost its business during the pandemic. It grew its dinner day part by about 10 percent, with many workers migrating out of big cities, taking business away from the typical lunch rush. The pandemic behavior uh, has shifted more people to suburban living as well as the dinner day part. We all sit on Zoom all day, or many of us sit in, in Zoom all day, and so uh, not going out for a typical office lunch, but then at the end of the day, trading in to go out uh, to the dinner day part at a restaurant. 
The company also acquired Zoe's Kitchen in 2018, and it's going to use some of that funding to convert some of those restaurants into Kava locations, allowing it to expand at a much faster pace into new markets, Shulman says. Conversions allow us to uh, create a restaurant at half the cost of capital of a new build. And it allows us to do it in about a third of the construction time, as well as enter markets much more rapidly. So, for example, uh, the Atlanta market is a market that we had been trying to enter for a number of years. And to line up a number of sites that were attractive uh, would take us multiple years. And the Zoe's acquisition, we have significant real estate in the city or the surrounding areas of Atlanta. And so we'll go into that market later this year and open 14 sites within the matter of a few months. Now, a third area where Kava will put that funding to work is expanding its consumer packaged goods business. It sells its dips and spreads in Whole Foods and other retailers. Uh, Shulman says they're going to be building out a second production facility for that part of the business to continue growing there as well. Kelly, back over to you. I saw the spicy hummus at Whole Foods the other day. And uh, if they can if they can just bring the menu pricing down a little bit, Kate, that would make it, I think, a lot more uh, enjoyable for all of us. But still, <laughs> uh, it's been a, a, a favorite around here. Thank you for bringing that to us. Our Kate Rogers speaking with the CEO of Kava. And that does it for us here on The Exchange today. But don't go anywhere. The stock draft is back and it's just moments away. After this quick break, I'm going to join Tyler Matheson and our panel of celebrity stock pickers for the 2021 stock draft. Stay with us. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.